0: Hello and welcome to Sibsi Journal's first podcast on COVID-19. My name is Alex Smith and I'm the editor of the Sibsi Journal. The aim of the podcast is to ensure that those involved in the design and operation of buildings get access to the very best current information available on minimising the risk of COVID-19 in their facilities. I will be talking to people who are helping coordinate the response to the virus at Sibsi and Ashray. First of all, we will hear from Hal Davis, the technical director at Sibsi, on what the institution's advice is for those operating healthcare facilities as well as non-domestic key buildings such as supermarkets and distribution centres. In America, Professor Bill Banfleth is the chair of ASHRAE's New Epidemic Task Force, which was set up this week to lead ASHRAE's response. It will be publishing regular summaries based on the most up-to-date information available, and as a matter of urgency, it is working on guidance for setting up field hospitals in conference centres and indoor arenas. First, then I spoke to SIPSI's Hal Davis, and I asked him what building owners should be doing to minimise the risk of spreading COVID-19.
1: I mean, the answer to that one is incredibly uh, straightforward, and you don't really need Sipsy for it. Um, you know, the, the government advice on washing hands, following basic hygiene precautions—it's um, it, it, all good stuff. Um, and that's what building owners need to be encouraging people to do um and for buildings that are still being occupied where there are cleaning regimes um you know, the cleaning regimes need to 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 follow again follow the government advice on what's appropriate uh, at this time and
0: there has been some talk about the possibility of airborne transmission. does sipsy have a view on this?
1: Um, There has been talk, and it strikes me as a perfectly reasonable question to ask. Uh, The evidence at the moment, and it is fair to say that we've only really known about this novel coronavirus for three or four months. So we're learning a lot, and uh, there are doubtless things that we don't yet know. Uh, But the evidence so far suggests that the main transmission routes are through contact with surfaces, which is why the hand washing is so vital, and um, through droplets, Um, if somebody coughs or sneezes and they're infected, Then the expectation is that they're going to eject um, some viral material and it's likely to form droplets in the area around them. And you can begin to see where the two meter distancing comes from. Um, We don't know for sure that the virus um, won't travel more than two meters. It's not as likely to travel more than two meters as to be close to the patient. Um, We don't know for sure. That it can't um, go airborne, but the early evidence suggests that they're not the things we should be most concerned about. Um, you know, people coughing and spluttering—if—if um, if they are infected—is um, going to be much more of a risk than an air conditioning um, or HVAC uh, system.
0: And some of the some of the recommendations out there, particularly from Reva, is to uh, ventilate buildings more more than you would normally as a precautionary uh, measure is that something you would you would agree with
1: yeah i think i would uh, you know at the moment we, we we i hate to go back to do old donald rumsfeld but we don't know what we don't know um and um turning recirculation off and having full fresh air through um it, yeah it'll be a little less energy efficient but um uh, at this time of year, it's not going to create a huge um, heating burden, um, and it's unlikely to do any harm. Mm.
0: And of course, Sipsy um, does have a healthcare group, um, and I understand that they are putting together some um, some guidance and some advice. Is there anything in there that we particularly should be looking out for, or any any kind of guidance you could offer?
1: Well, I think I've probably covered a lot of it already. Um, The the SIBSI guidance is is on the website, and we also refer to some work that's been done at a European level. Um, SIBSI is part of the European Federation of Heating and Ventilating Associations and a a small task group from from that that body called REVA, uh they've put together some guidance which is on on their website and there's a link to it from the the CIPC guidance hmm.
0: and i i did read on the um on the healthcare website the subsidy healthcare group um that htm03 was being updated um which is the health technical memorandum i think is that for ventilation if if i if i
1: that That's right, Alex. That's the Health Technical Memorandum on Ventilation Systems for Healthcare Buildings. um, And it is being revised. Um, My understanding is that it's coming quite close now to being complete. uh, And we're, well, we were anticipating it coming out quite soon. Um, Given all the pressures that the health service teams are under at the moment, um, I think we should all be prepared to, to accept that there might be a small delay um, although equally they may be keen to get it out because um, you know, for, for, for facilities where it's relevant they will want to be working to the most up-to-date guidance.
0: And I was going to ask you as well for for people who are looking after buildings that may not be occupied at the moment, um, obviously three, four, five months time, hopefully we'll be going back to our buildings and we need to ensure that they can be used um, as soon as we need them. Is there advice out there for people who are looking after unoccupied buildings?
1: Uh, There's a certain amount of guidance in Sibsi Guide M, the the maintenance uh, guide. Um, There is a small section there on what to do with mothballing a building. Um, and um it, it, away from Sbsi i have some responsibility for a, for a, a listed building um the Welsh church in in London, and we've just had to think through what do we need to do to make sure that building's safe. And there are some fairly obvious things. Um, You don't want equipment running that doesn't need to be running. Um, And that's not from an energy perspective. You just don't want stuff running in the building if it's not needed at the moment. Mm. Um, It may be appropriate to turn off um, gas supplies if if you're not heating the building. Uh, You may want to think about uh, water systems because if there's no one in the building, they're not going to spot it if there's a problem um obviously managing agents uh, are going to need to think hard uh, about looking looking after buildings that they're responsible for um, it really reducing the risks um, and then when it comes to opening up again um there'll obviously be enough if you know whatever you've done to prepare the building to be closed will need to be reversed that might just need a little bit of thought to make sure it's done safely and uh, I anticipate that we'll be producing a little bit more detailed guidance um, to help people going back to buildings um, when when we're able to do that.
0: Maybe it's not at the forefront of our minds at the moment, but certainly will be soon, we hope.
1: Well, yes, um, although right now, we don't really have a clear picture of how soon it, it might be. Um, and so, you know, I- in terms of building management, um, it's the old adage of um, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Um, and perhaps building managers do need to think, well, what if nobody can go back to the building for another three months? Um, you know, have we got everything um, as under control as as we can?
0: Well, thanks very much, Hal. Um, and if anybody wants to look for advice and guidance from Sibsy, presumably go to the website
1: at the moment go to the website because um i mean we are we, there are things coming through on a daily basis so um we put up the the guidance yesterday from the construction leadership council on site operating procedures for construction sites that are staying open and version two came out this morning um so we've we've updated that already i i believe um it's a very fast moving field we will try and keep the website as up to date as possible and that that's our best means of uh, of keeping you posted
0: yeah so that'd be sibsy.org slash covid19 and the sibsy twitter account will also um, give all the updates as well won't they, i'm sure
1: I'm quite sure that our social media channels will be being kept up to date by by our marketing and communications team.
0: Brilliant. Okay. thanks very much, Hal, and until the next time.
1: Indeed. Thanks very much for having me, Alex.
0: Well, I'd like to introduce um, Bill Banflev. He's the Professor of Architecture Engineering at the Pennsylvania State University and a former president of ASHRAE, which is the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Conditioning Engineers. Uh, Bill is chairing Ashray's new epidemic task force, uh, which has just been formed. Um, I understand Bill has been working earlier this week on, on putting together some advice and, and guidance for Ashray members and, and beyond. Um, I'm just wondering, Bill, if could you explain to me or tell me what that guidance or that advice might contain uh, about uh, COVID-19?
2: So we've just formed a task force to... Uh, organize ASHRAE, which is a big uh, organization that has hundred technical committees, 100 standards committees. And uh, I, I see the, the role of this task force as putting that resource to work to address different aspects of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, um, in the short term, I, I don't necessarily see us putting together a, a guidance document along the lines of what uh, Reva and some others have done, but we already have a, a website up that has uh, information on it that was, was put up uh, several weeks ago, and, and I see us starting to, uh, to update that and modify it and put in different kinds of information. The, the initial guidance was based mainly on our airborne infectious diseases position document. Although there are other resources there as well. I I think that that was a good start and now we need to organize it and make it more specific. So right now we're in the organizational phase here, which will not last very long, but we should be starting to issue uh, guidance that is uh, uh, requested and, and vetted by the committee very soon. We started doing uh, things related to COVID-19 several weeks ago through collaboration of ASHRAE TC 9.6 healthcare facilities and standard 170 ventilation for healthcare with uh, ASHI, the American Society for Healthcare Engineering. And so they've already produced a, uh, an extensive presentation that uh, discusses how to do things like convert uh, ordinary rooms and in hospitals into uh, into isolation rooms, et cetera. So we're going to push forward in, in that way. And I see healthcare as being the critical thing right now. Here in the US, the uh, surge of, of infections um, and the uh, impact of that on overloading the healthcare system is, is really the most critical thing. And we can focus more on other types of facilities as we move forward.
0: So you're you're looking at the conversion of of um, buildings into hospitals. That's part part of the work that you're doing with with Ashi.
2: I think that's obviously something that uh, we're being looked to uh, for for guidance and it's something that we we can do. And there are a lot of interesting uh, things that we can address. For instance, uh, the the N95 uh, mask or respirator. Uh, shortage in the US where we're anticipating the possibility of running out of these masks and so now there's quite a bit of effort going into figuring out how to disinfect masks for reuse and one way that's discussed for doing that is to use uh, vaporized hydrogen peroxide uh, and turning rooms in hospitals into mask disinfection chambers Uh, vaporized hydrogen peroxide is a hazardous uh, material and and so there are a lot of issues with how you uh, you set up a a space to serve that function and I think other needs will emerge where we're trying to react to whatever uh, that sector needs right now. It's part of our mission is to find out what their real issues are and and deal with them.
0: And with regard to to buildings other than healthcare facilities, there's been some talk of. Um, airborne transmission of the virus. Um, and I, I guess there's been some uncertainty as well. Um, could you kind of clarify what, what the general
2: kind of feeling is about airborne uh, transmission at the moment? To the extent that uh, anyone can clarify, I'll, I'll try <laughs> to because it's, it's really uh, an emerging area of knowledge. We, we all know that the WHO initially came out very strongly that they believed the transmission was uh, almost exclusively by large droplets short-range transmission, and they've stuck to that position for a long time, even as we started to, to find that uh, COVID-19 could be uh, could be sampled from ducts and, and from other surfaces in, in rooms that have been occupied by infected people. And for, for those who know much about aerosol science and about uh, respiratory droplets, um, it's clear that that if while large droplets are being produced that may contribute to the short distance transmission, there are also small droplets that evaporate to particles that can become aerosol. And given what's been found about how long uh, COVID-19 can survive in uh, aerosol form or on surfaces, it it seems um, prudent to assume that some Airborne transmission is possible and fomite or, or surface transfer is possible, and to take precautions. In the most recent uh, publication that WHO put out, which was just in the last day or so, they are, are now uh, endorsing some airborne uh, infection protections for healthcare uh, environments. So, if, if someone is working with infected people. And so, what, what we're seeing is a progression towards um, uh, admitting the possibility of significant airborne transmission, and, and that's very important in terms of what organizations like ASHRAE and SIBSI and others that deal with HBAC uh, would recommend as interventions. Uh, Could you
0: summarize um, what advice you would have for, for operators of buildings at the moment?
2: Uh, well, well more, more ventilation is, is certainly a, a good idea, and really a lot of, of what... Uh, I think would be recommended by ASHRAE experts this is similar to what came from Reva, more ventilation, uh, perhaps less recirculation in cases where it will not cause operational problems. I'm, I'm personally a little concerned about that because um, it's still pretty cold here and going to 100% outside air may make buildings uh, really hard to, to work in and defeat the purpose of trying to keep them in operation. Uh, certainly, if there are airborne particles, filtration could be helpful, whether it's centralized filtration in an air handling unit, or whether it's a, a room air filter. Um, all air systems are very common in the US. So putting higher efficiency filters into the air handling units that can handle a significant amount of, of PM 2.5 seems like a good idea. and and probably out on the edge of what people might recommend are are things like ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, which uh, Mm -hmm. certainly has been demonstrated to be effective at inactivating um, viruses as well as other microorganisms. And that can be used to to disinfect air streams uh, in an HVAC system. It can be used to disinfect uh, room air in an occupied space with a so-called upper room system and also uh, a very common use of uh, UV is uh, particularly in healthcare to disinfect spaces when they're unoccupied. So there are what they call uh, UV uh, robots that can be put in spaces and and turned on for a period of time when a space is unoccupied that will will help disinfect the surfaces and the uh, performance of those has been uh, quite good against uh, common HAIs uh, when, when that's been tested. Uh, one of the problems for any of these sorts of interventions, of course, is that there isn't a lot of uh, coronavirus uh, data available. So far, I've only been able to find a couple of research papers that have looked at coronavirus. And of course, when you have a brand new one, um, it's it's impossible yet to find anything uh, that, that clearly shows the response of uh, SARS-CoV-2 to mm. to UV. But I think that's a, a possibility.
0: Sure. And just for people who, who may not come across the term all-air systems, um, can you just explain um, the difference between an all-air system and maybe a typical system you might might have in Europe?
2: Sure. Well, um, the, to the extent that I, I, I know uh, European systems, uh, what we might call a, an air and water uh, or a dual path system seems like a common approach where you might have a, a ventilation system that only provides uh, once through outside airflow, And you may have terminals in, in the space, uh, fan coil units or radiant panels or some other sort of hydronic or refrigerant based terminal um, in the US. Uh, all air systems uh, are, are ones where, with a conditioned stream of air, you do all of the air conditioning. So it provides ventilation, and it also provides all of the sensible heating and cooling and, and dehumidification. So those systems may circulate um, five, six times as much air as is required for ventilation. Perhaps uh, 70 80% of the supply air to spaces is recirculated. Um, and so, um, those sorts of systems, uh, if they go to all air mode, are bringing in a huge amount of outside air that the the coils probably weren't designed to uh, to condition. But of course, the other thing is that they they also, by by circulating those large air volumes, uh, not only have the capacity to distribute contaminants, but they also have the capacity to uh, put a lot of airflow through filters and through other air treatment devices. So there's some kind of trade-off there. If your uh, airflow is, is once through, then filters that are in your um, ventilation system are not going to do anything to remove uh, pathogens or contaminants that are generated in the, in the space.
0: There's been some discussion about whether humidity and temperature affects the transmission of the virus. What is Astrae's view of this?
2: Um, yes. And, and actually, this is something that's discussed in, in a fair amount of detail in the ASHRAE and uh, airborne infectious diseases position document. And, and the co- conclusion is not so different from what Reva said. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe the Riva guidance said something about there not being any need to change humidity set points or to put in um, humidifiers. And and. My reading of the justification for it was that there is not good evidence that elevated humidity will affect the uh, amount of time that uh, COVID-19, uh, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, will remain active, and and that's that's one possible effect of humidity on on uh, infection risk. But another one is that um, it's believed on some evidence that uh, at low humidity, uh, mucosa uh, nose and, and, and mouth will be dried out and may make them uh, better places for pathogens to deposit and more likely to cause a, an infection. So uh, there's the argument that at least some minimal uh, level of humidity is, is beneficial for, for that reason. Uh, the ashrae position document doesn't really endorse elevated uh, humidity uh, any more than the REVA guidance does, but it it, uh, it does uh, note that other factor. And I, I think probably the the bottom line is that uh, extreme measures to to modify humidity aren't called for, um, mm-hmm. but there there may be a concern in some facilities depending on climate to provide a minimal amount of, of humidification. I, I gathered from some of the comments that I've heard from, from friends in, uh, in in Europe that uh, they just don't think humidity ever gets so low that it's an issue. But if you were in the Northern US in the middle of the winter and you didn't have a humidifier, you, you might be down to 20% or, or uh, lower relative humidity here. And so we tend to think of winter humidification as, as being more of a a valuable and necessary thing in some cases until you get to really cold climates and then they get concerned about it again when you go really far north and it's extremely cold then you have a condensation problem to deal with when you yeah. to raise indoor humidity so, so it's we, very regional and that's one of the things that's coming out of these discussions i think
0: yes it's hard to apply the same guidance to every every climate
2: isn't it yes well i, I think we're looking for the uh, uh the quickest way to get reliable information out to, uh, to the public mm-hmm. and to target specific audiences. I, I think that's really our, uh, our main goal, as we compile more and more information and, and keep updating that. So I, I think one of Ashray's strengths is how strong its uh, grassroots or local structure is. You know, we have uh, chapters all over the world that are uh, very active locally and that contribute uh, wherever they are. And I, I see that as a, a unique resource that we may be able to tap into because we have chapters in places where the epidemic, the pandemic mm-hmm. has been really hot and they're gaining experience by dealing with it that I think can be shared with others. I'd like to do yeah. that. The first questionnaire uh, about what what should Ashray do about the pandemic uh, came out on, on March 2nd. And at that time, there were had been six uh 19 deaths in the us the uh, the committee was authorized to, to form on march 12 and there were 41 deaths at that point and on the day we had our first meeting we were at about 2400 hmm. so that's between march 2nd and and march uh, 28th so uh things are changing rapidly and the time to respond is is right now i think uh right now we have a lot of people sheltering in place who are wondering what they should do and that, that's why i think it's important for the uh, the residential uh sector in in ASHRAE uh to to put forth some guidance and uh they were meeting about this the day after the task force had its its first meeting i, I saw that uh, they had already been engaged by our, our task force member in the residential area. So I think we're gonna be seeing something there. In, in the nearer term, everyone is hoping to, to get back to work, restart the economy. And, and so uh, a few weeks or, or, or months down the road, uh, maybe the most important thing then is going to be, how do we make sure that uh, the workplaces and, and uh, the, the shops that people are going into are as, as safe as they can be. Yeah. So there's this kind of a priority here that's uh, dictated by the way the pandemic is progressing.
0: That was Professor Bill Banfflet on Ashray's response to the pandemic. The latest information on COVID-19 from Sibsi and Ashray is available at sibsi.org/covid19, and similarly, ashray.org/covid19. Sibsi Journal also has a summary of the review literature review referred to by Bill. It is available at www.sipsyjournal.com, where you find lots of other news on COVID-19, including an interview with the building services engineers behind the incredible transformation of London's Excel Exhibition Centre into the 4,000-bed NHS Nightingale Hospital. Thanks very much for listening, and bye for now.